the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever gone up into a tall building and looked down? Now, I know for everybody that may not be a, a happy experience, but for those of you that, that can stomach it, have you ever done that? Yes. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? What did everything on the ground look like when you were a kid? Like, like ants, right? Depending on how high up you were, maybe they looked like toys, right? To me, they always looked like little action figures and matchbox cars, right? Yeah. Hold on to that thought for a moment. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Now, we're into what's sometimes called Second Isaiah. In the first part of Isaiah, God's giving warnings to his people. 39 chapters of it. And in the 40th chapter, the focus shifts. We know that in Isaiah's lifetime, judgment didn't come, but God started speaking to those who were going to go through it. And this is part of that discussion. And I'm sure that the people that read this, who were sent into exile, were heartbroken. Right? Their country's been invaded. They've lost loved ones. They've seen their homes destroyed, and they've been scattered throughout an empire. And while they're there, God is asking them very simply, do you not remember who I am? I'm the God that created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah writes, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Isaiah here is saying God is sitting above us all, but it's the God who stretched out the heavens and the God who looks down on us, and to him we look like just little insects. And I think for us that's easier to understand maybe than it was in Isaiah's day. Because most of us have been up in a tall building, or maybe we've been on an airplane, and as we're taking off or we're landing, we can look down and we can see we can see what it looks like from that distance. But unlike when I was a kid and I would daydream about what I would do with all the tiny cars and all the tiny people wandering around, God is saying, I'm the creator of heaven and earth, and I care about you. God is asking, why would you compare me to one of the, the local gods, ones made with hands by your neighbors? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My right is disregarded by my God. In their desolation, in that moment, the people seem to think that God no longer cares, that he no longer sees them, like he's gotten out of range, like he's one of the local gods, where the only place you can go and talk to him is in Jerusalem. And they're wondering in their grief, where is God? What happened? And Isaiah's reminding them, he's the creator of everything. There's no place you can go where he cannot find you. And then Isaiah gives them a promise. He says this, He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will be faint and weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God promises that he'll be with us as we live wherever we're found, that he'll give us power and strength in those moments when we feel exhausted, that he'll be with us every step we take, 
to give us comfort and strength. Wings like eagles, running and not growing weary, walking and not fainting. Isaiah is using metaphors and promises that God has not abandoned them, just like he will not abandon us. That wherever they are, he is there to love and support them as they live. The psalmist writes, Hallelujah, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant it is to honor him with praise. The psalmist is excited this morning. Why? Because he writes, the Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. Now for the psalmist, this is not just a one-time event. He's saying that God is continuing to work in their lives. He's continuing to rebuild them and to gather them. And God's love is shown, the psalmist said, in his care for creation. The God who counts the stars in the heavens and knows their name and covers the earth with clouds and brings rain is the same God who loves us and binds our broken hearts. But the Lord has pleasure in those who fear him and those who await his gracious favor. God calls on us as to follow him as we wait. We live in a broken world where sometimes we don't feel his presence. There are times when God can feel far away or non-existent. That's why Isaiah and the Psalms still resonate with many of us today, because we've had those moments where we've been there. We've had these feelings. Maybe you're feeling them today. But we have his assurances that even when we feel like he's not there, he is there, and he loves us, and he loves everyone, and we can rely on his gracious favor. Mark writes, As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now we're continuing in Mark's gospel today. Jesus has been baptized. He started calling the apostles. And after preaching in the synagogue, where he has an encounter with a man who needed to be freed, after that they head to Peter and Andrew's house. Now I want to say this about Mark's gospel. It moves fast. Papias, who's writing around 100 AD, and who learned from John, the John who wrote the gospel and the epistles, he said that John said that Mark was Peter's interpreter and wrote down accurately, but not always in order, all that he remembered of the things said and done by the Lord. So if things seemed hurried here, Mark loves to have Jesus run from place to place. If they seem a bit out of order from what you remember from the other Gospels, church history says it's because Mark was trying to record Peter's words around the time of his death. What does Peter remember about that day? that his mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they told Jesus, and Jesus went to her at once. When Jesus heard his mother-in-law was sick, he goes straight to her and prays for her. And when he prays for her, she's healed. And she goes from feeling so poorly she can't get out of the bed to feeling well enough. She's able to go and help prepare dinner for Jesus and the, all the companions. And when that happened, word spread around town. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. Now remember, all of this is taking place on the Sabbath, and so they wait. In the Jewish culture of the day, when does the new day start? Starts at sundown. Still starts at sundown, right? When do holy days start in the Jewish faith today? When the sun goes down. But as soon as the sun goes down, they did, they came, and they saw, and they brought. They brought all those who were in need of healing and freedom to Jesus. And Jesus, Mark writes, cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. 
and you would not permit them to speak because they knew him. And when the people were brought to Jesus, he spent time praying with them and being with them, healing and releasing them from the bondage that we all find ourselves in because of the brokenness of this world. And Jesus, though the next morning while it was still dark, got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. Jesus needed time to be alone, to pray, just like we do, to recharge himself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You cannot constantly be giving of yourself without taking the time to also take care of yourself. And this is often what gets us in trouble when we have to be caregivers. We're so busy taking care of the people we love, we end up at our bodies and sometimes at our wits' ends. We don't ask for help because we don't want to seem weak or vulnerable. We don't want to bother other people. But please, follow Jesus' example. Take time for yourself. Ask others for help. Because if Jesus needs time, so do all of us. And when they found him, because they went hunting for him, because people were already arriving at Peter's doorstep looking for Jesus, he told them, let's go to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went out throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now after talking with the Father, Jesus knew it was time to move on, bring the coming kingdom to all those around them. He could have stayed in Capernaum. Everyone could have come to him. But he knew that not everyone could get to Capernaum. Not everyone would be reached if he stayed where he was. So Jesus moved on. Paul writes, If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting. For an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. Paul here is reminding the Corinthians that he's not writing to them because he wants to lord it over them. He says elsewhere, listen, I'm the least of the apostles. I remember when I persecuted the church in ignorance. But God's grace has placed me here, and all I can do now is be obedient. He tells them, for though I'm free with respect to all, I've made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. Paul here is saying, listen, Corinthian church, I know that you're divided on many issues. And if it helps, if it helps to bring love and healing in the divisions, if I need to be a free person or use my Jewish heritage, I'll do so. But if I need to move amongst the Gentiles, or I need to move amongst the slaves, I'm not going to allow my prejudices, class prejudices, racial prejudices, whatever, to stop me from giving the gospel to those who need it. It's not going to stop me from being among them and loving them, so that God's grace and God's glory can go out to all the world. Paul goes on to write, To the weak I become weak, so that I might win some. I have become all things to all people, that I might save some. Now we talked about the weak last week. Paul says the weak are those people who have different opinions that you do or that I do. Sometimes they're those people whose opinions, they don't make any sense to us. And Paul here is saying, I'm going to be like those who I don't even understand, if that's what it takes to show them that they're loved by God and by his people. Because our job, Paul keeps reminding us, is not to live in absolute freedom. It's to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. Paul is doing what he's doing so that people will get to know Jesus, because it's Jesus who makes a difference in people's lives. Paul will tell you, it's not me, it's him. God, the creator of the universe, looks down 
and he sees us and he loves us. I don't fully understand it. When I was standing up in one of those tall buildings growing up in Chicago, I couldn't know and love everyone I was looking down on. Could you imagine that? But God can. And he brings us comfort when we need it. He gathers us and rebuilds us. And Jesus cared so much when he was on earth, he had to keep getting away from people to stop himself from ministering to them. Sermons, his plans, they're not as important as was the person. And we'll see that as we continue in Mark's gospel. And Paul says we're called to humble ourselves and love others, regardless of who their parents were, regardless of who they voted for, or whatever, or whatever they believe that doesn't even make sense to us. And we can love them best by introducing them to Jesus. For he's the one that makes the change. Amen.